I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians 13, we'll be looking at just a, a portion of the first uh, verse four, but I just want to read the first eight verses just so we have the context. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give way all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for the word of, that you have given to us this night. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be present with us this night to, 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 to teach us, to, to speak to us through your word. We, we, we ask, God, that you would give us a, a tentativeness, not only to the things that we say, but that we might understand, Lord, how these things come to bear upon our lives and our relationships and the ways that we have with others. We thank you, Lord, that we have hope uh, knowing that, God, that you are able to work in and through us to make us more like you. We pray that we would reflect your character and your nature. Uh, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, as we come back to this chapter on love, last time we, we saw that really the church is nothing without love. You know, so often in the church we sort of respect those that have great knowledge in the Word of God. We respect those who are, are good teachers. We, we have a, an appreciation for those in the church who serve and who, have, who use their gifts, uh, oftentimes for those that are, are very uh, generous in, in their giving. There's just so many uh, of these characteristics that we oftentimes appreciate uh, in one another as we see them. And God uh, says, well, that's fine. But without love, these things are nothing. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not that God is saying that these things are not good. The things that he mentions in, in the first verses, you know, prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and knowledge and, and having faith that could remove mountains. But what he says is, but there is something that is even greater than that, and that is love. And so as my people, I, I, I call you to love one another. You see, we can acquire knowledge or we can serve others or we can minister uh, to one another, but we cannot love as God loves, as it's laid out here in this passage, without the Lord Jesus Christ giving us a new heart by his Holy Spirit. It is only as we are made new creatures in Jesus Christ that we could love. So it's very appropriate that he says that love is the most important of all things. And if we do not love as a church, 
we will see we will drift and maybe even disintegrate as a church. We might still exist as a church, but we will not be doing what the Lord has commanded us to do. So I don't care how large a church gets or how successful it may appear, or how active it is in terms of its spiritual giftedness without love. That church is nothing. So tonight, what I really want to do is very simply just look at the, the first couple of characteristics of love in verse 4. You know, that love is patient and love is kind. But before we do that, I just want to give a, a little bit of introductory comments about the nature of love, if I could, that I think will help us to understand as we go through verses 4 through 8 in the, in the months ahead. If we think of love as, as being a diamond, then we can think of these characteristics as being 15 facets of that diamond. We're sort of holding up this thing called love and sort of looking at it from all the different angles and nuances and, and, and aspects. Well, if you look at love, uh, actually the word love written in the Greek, it actually is a verb. Sometimes in our English it looks like an adjective or, or something like that, but it's really a verb. Now, why is that important? Because Paul's emphasis is in this passage is really not so much uh, about what love is, but about what love does. Love behaves itself in a certain way. And because these facets are wrote as, as doing words, it's a reminder to us that we can read the Word of God, we can hear the Word of God, but we are nothing if we don't put the Word of God into practice. You know, as the Bible says, if we don't do that, we're nothing but a foolish man who's building upon the sand. And so as we come tonight, we need to remember that love is a verb. Now, there's another reason why this is a very profound truth, because it helps us understand the biblical teaching on love in a very practical way. Uh, many Christians worry that they don't feel a particular way about God. You know, I know I'm supposed to love God, but, you know, we say, but I, but I don't always really feel that love for God. Well, something must be wrong is oftentimes the conclusion that we come to. Something's sort of wrong in my emotions that I don't love God. You know, I claim to follow God, but, but sometimes I'm not even sure that I love him. Have you ever heard those words come out of your mouth or maybe you've, you've thought those things? Well, then, you know, we wonder how we can get more of that loving feeling. And no, I'm not going to break out into song. OK, you know, uh, we just sort of want to have more of that loving feeling towards God. Well, the love chapter teaches us that love is as love does. Um, there's a, a French theologian who once said, unlike other loves, which can remain hidden in the heart, it is essential to charity, that is, to, to love, and particularly godly love, uh, to manifest itself, to demonstrate itself. In other words, love has to express itself uh, to provide proof and to put itself on display. So we cannot say that we love one another and not show that love. That love will show through. It will sort of leak through. So there's, this is not to say that, you know, that love is, uh, is something we never feel or that we should stop asking God to, to love him more, to fill our hearts uh, with his love by his Holy Spirit. But when it comes to love, what we do with our deeds is every bit as important, if not more so, 
than what we say with our words or what we feel in our being. And we see that in Scripture. John says that in John chapter or first John chapter three, verse 18. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, let me see that love. So so Paul looked at it this way and he believed in loving by doing, not just by talking or by feeling. And so. You know, I, I guess what I would say is if you feel like that, like, wow, I don't I really feel like I love the Lord. You know, my question is not do you feel like you love the Lord, but can you go ahead and express that love even though you don't feel like that? And that's what biblical love does. It, it loves anyway. Love is the way we live for God, even when we don't happen to feel particularly loving. So that's the first thing that I want us to see. That love is, is, a, is a verb, it's, a, it's an action. But it, love is also a continuous action, okay? Here again, I'm not meaning to get into Greek grammar and all that kind of stuff, other than for us to understand how that uh, comes into play in our lives. Paul writes that, you know, that each facet that he presents here is a, is a, con, is a continuous tense. It's in the present tense in the Greek, which means it's a continuous action, which is a reminder to us that these facets indicate actions or attitude which must be habitual in our lives. It's not like, well, I was patient this day and, you know, maybe I was, you know, I'll be kind three weeks from now. You know, these things that we talk about, these different facets, these different nuances of love, are expressions that we will see in our lives every day and on a daily basis. They will become a habitual part of who we are. It's a lot like exercise. You know, if you exercise your muscle, what happens to your muscle? It gets stronger, you know? But if you don't exercise your muscle, what happens? It weakens. It becomes flabby. It becomes almost non-existent. Well, Romans 5 says that God has poured out his love in our hearts. And so if we are new creatures in Jesus Christ, then we have that love there. And it, and it is incumbent upon us to exercise that love. That love, by its very nature, will express itself. But if we suppress that love, if we, instead of living as a child of God and loving others, uh, seek to uh, fulfill our own selfish desires, it is much like not exercising your muscles. And, and that love, you know, we lose sight of that love because of our selfishness. And so there's, um, there's that call to live out that love. Well, part of that is, is because, you know, this love is really an expression of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is it not? I mean, we say love is patient, love is kind. Here again, we could just replace the word love with the name Jesus, and we could say Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus does not envy or boast. You know, because these things express the character of our Lord and our Savior, of our older brother, of the one whom the Spirit of God is making us like. And so we see the loving humility of Jesus Christ in his leaving the glory of heaven and taking on the flesh of humanity. We see his loving patience with all the people who pressed around him, who wanted to be healed when he was here upon the earth. We see his loving submission in the Garden of Gethsemane when on his way to the cross, Jesus Christ did not insist upon his own way in doing what he wanted to do, 
But he said, Father, not what I want, what you want. That's what I'll do. You see, we see his love, loving per- perseverance in the way he suffered for our sins. And we see his loving mercy in the forgiveness that he offered to his enemies. We see his loving trust in asking the Father to raise him from the dead. So from the beginning to the end, our salvation is all an expression of the love of God uh, towards us and never failing love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight, let us look and see what love is. And we read very simply, love is patient and love is kind. Now, our challenge in these verses tonight is not so much to understand what Paul meant as much as it is to do what he says. You know, I think it was Mark Twain who was the one who said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's those parts that I do understand that bother me. And, you know, this is one of those parts that bother us because we understand what love is. And we see oftentimes that, that it's not characteristic of sometimes what we do. So he says, love is patient. Uh, actually, if you have the King James Version, uh, your translation says, charity suffereth long. Now, charity, kids, is just another name for love. So love suffereth long. Love is long-suffering. Love is the ability to put up with frustration. You know, the frustration we face in living in a fallen world and dealing with people who are fallen as we are. We oftentimes forget that part, that they're, you know, we're just as fallen as they are. Uh, to, to, To be patient means to persevere. It means to delay long. You know, but for us, oftentimes we're so impatient. I think of the story of a, a, a husband and a wife who were sitting in their garage in the car, and uh, he was encouraging his wife to go in the house, and she wouldn't go in the house. And so he just continued to talk very kindly to her and to encourage her to go in the house, and she just would not have anything to do with it. Well, the difficulty he was having was she had Alzheimer's. And she didn't, she didn't know where she was. And he was trying to encourage her that this was their home and that they needed to go in. And, that, and she goes, no, this is not our home. We don't live here. We live in a different place. And he told her, he says, no. He said, actually, remember, we moved in with our son and he's helping us out. This is now our home. You know, so let's go on in. And he continued to encourage her, but she would stubbornly would not go in the house. Finally, their son pokes his head out into the garage and says, Dad? Are you guys coming in? And he said, we'll be in in just a little bit. You know, your mom's just having some difficulty. And he said, how long have you been sitting out here in the garage? He said, for two and a half hours. That's patience. That's, that's a sense of taking time. You know, but so often we, we become impatient with circumstances or we become so impatient with people. We might have somebody at work who's rather difficult And so, you know, or maybe a a boss that is just almost impossible. And so we almost just hone in on that situation or upon that person, you know, as if we need to get this conquered. We need to get this taken care of. And we become so impatient rather than understanding that what it means to be patient is forbearance. It's a word that really expresses control. 
Paul is saying in one sense that uh, that love has a long fuse. It's not something that just burns down quickly. You know, it takes its time before it bursts into flames of anger or frustration with somebody else. So once again, this is a verb. So Paul is talking about an active patience towards other people. Now, I think to really appreciate where he's coming from, we got to remember this church that he's writing to. You know, Paul's not just writing this in a, in a vacuum. He's writing this to a church where you had people in the church who thought that they were more important than other people in the church. As a matter of fact, some of these people thought that others in the church weren't even really necessary. And, and I say that because if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says what? Those parts that you think are least important are actually the most important. Now, could you imagine... Uh, being a part of a church like that? I bet there were words that were spoken between congregants if you had people that were that arrogant. You know, I think of the, the account of uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector that some of us heard this morning. And, uh, you know, just as that Pharisee stood up and prayed, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this sinner or that sinner or even this tax collector. Now, I'll tell you what, folks, that took a lot of guts. To sit there and to put somebody down that's standing right there in front of you. But sometimes there's that kind of pride. Sometimes there's that kind of arrogance in the church. And oftentimes that creates relational damage and hurt and, and uh, suffering even within the church. But that's why God says that love is patient. Chrysostom who is an early uh, church preacher, said that this word is used of a man who is wronged and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself, but will never do it. So, so patience is not weakness, but it's really a sense more of meekness. It, it does not mean that the person wronged is without a passion to respond or that they don't want to say something. They simply keep that passion in check as a result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is working in their life. So now, you know, um, that sounds great, but I know for the Corinthian church and the Greek culture, that was not a very attractive attribute to have. You know, much like our culture today, the heroes of Corinth were the Avengers, those who righted the wrong. And as I thought about that, I thought about action movies. I love action movies, you know? I just think they're great. You know, the more things that blow up and stuff, the better. Anyway, but you know, really, if you think about it, every action movie is pretty much the same plot. It's just expressed in a different way. Well, we still love it anyway. You know, so usually it starts out with the hero uh, has a family that he loves. And it might be that he's married, you know, and, and grown, and he has a family, and you, the bad guy comes in and kills his family. You know, or maybe it is that he's a little kid and, you know, and his uh, and the bad guy comes in and kills his family. And it's not till years later. But eventually that hero goes out after the bad guy, you know, and he gets his revenge. And like I said, usually in the process, there's a lot of things that blow up. So anyway, but that's it's really the same plot. And we really like that when when the Avenger, when they when the guy gets gives the bad guy, you know, what he deserves. Well, the Greek culture was like that as well. 
You know, but sometimes that's not just entertainment for us. Sometimes that's where we are. Sometimes that's that's how we function. That if somebody steps on our toes, you know, we can become very upset. Aristotle taught that the Greek culture, uh, the great Greek virtue was not to tolerate insult or injury and to strike back at the slightest offense. Well, that's where we're at in our culture. If somebody doesn't give me what I think I ought to get, if somebody says something to me that I think they ought not to say, what happens? Boom! You know, there's just anger there. There's just frustration. There's, you know, uh, people get upset. And if you don't believe me, just go out there in the blogosphere and just go down to the comments and, what it, you know, just pick a blog. It almost doesn't really matter. And you can just see people who are like, yeah, I can't believe this jerk put this on the web and, you know, all this stuff. But there's that sense in which, you know, we have oftentimes a very short fuse. But Paul says that love actually absorbs the offense, that love waits patiently as we are wronged. And like I said, this is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Peter says of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, think about the two thieves on the cross. I think for many of us, we think of the two thieves as there was a, a good thief and a bad thief, right? Because there was one thief that sort of, you know, came to Jesus' defense you know, eventually, and Jesus said, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. But the reality is they were both bad thieves. And they actually both started out mocking Jesus Christ. And, and they did so along with the crowd that was there as well. Um, and, and what's interesting is, is that here's this picture of Jesus suffering on the cross for our sins, not for anything that he has done. He is suffering uh, physically but also being mocked and ridiculed by two thieves that were on the cross. Thieves! Could you imagine that? Having thieves mock you when you've lived a perfect life. You have the crowd that is ridiculing you as well. And you know that Jesus has the authority and the power to call down 12 legions of angels. Now, I can do the math for you. That's 144,000 angels. He has the authority to call down 144,000 angels. And he sits there and he takes it. He's patient. He is kind. And, it, and then he says to that thief who eventually sees that he is the son of God. He says, and today you will be with me in paradise. That's the love of our Savior. Even the love of his father, Peter talks about that as well. 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
So we see the patience of the Father and the patience of the Son, and it is the same patience, the same love that he gives to the church. But you know, oftentimes uh, people don't recognize that. I think of uh, Robert Ingersoll, who was a well-known atheist in the 19th century, and he would travel around the world and he would give talks, and, and basically he would deny and dispute the existence of God. And there was a point in his speech where where he would, he would stop and he would say, you know, I'll give God five minutes to strike me dead for the things that I've said. And then he would set his watch and then he would go on talking. And after five minutes, you know, and he had been struck by God, he would uh, use that to prove that God doesn't exist. Well, one perceptive individual said this about Mr. Ingersoll. He says, does Mr. Ingersoll think that he could exhaust the patience of the eternal God in only five minutes? That's the patience that our Lord has. And, you know, we as Christians struggle with that patience, do we not? You know, we're, we're wronged by someone, and, and like I said, our temptation can be to focus upon that wrong that has been done to us. But, but we would do well to be like the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 2, 23, that when those things happened, when Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile, but, but how could he not do that? Because he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That Jesus Christ focused upon his father. He focused upon the character of his father and how his father relates to him. And how much more would we as Christians do well to do that ourselves? That in those times when things have been difficult, you know, in, in our family, that, um, that rather than focusing on those things, uh, to, to turn to our Father. And that's why it's important for us to spend time in His Word every day. You know, it's not that, you know, if you, if you, spend, if you read a chapter a day in your Bible, you get a closer seat to God in heaven. You know, it is that as we spend time in His Word, our focus is continually turned heavenwards. It's continually focused upon our God. And those days when we neglect this, you know, we just are very tempted to be more ingrained upon the, the ways of the world and to forget that we have God's Spirit that lives within us. Second of all, love is kind. In other words, love acts with goodness towards those that treat us wrong. So it's not just enough that Paul says, if someone wrongs you, take it, be patient, be long suffer, be willing to suffer a long period of time. He says, I also want you to respond to that person. But rather than giving evil for evil, I want you to give kindness for the evil that's been given to you. And so love doesn't merely endure the wrong given, but it gives good in return. Kids, kids, imagine that your brothers and sisters took a toy from you, okay? And how often have you heard your mom say, now don't fight, be kind, you know? But you know what the Bible says? You know, our temptation is when our brothers and sisters take something away from us, we want to grab it back, right? And we want to get it ourselves. But the Bible says, actually, we should not only not grab it back, but we ought to also be kind to our brothers and our sisters. 
Like I said, uh, listen once again to the words of Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, God's spirit dwells within his people. And when we turn and we seek to get vengeance for ourselves, there is a sense in which we are acting according to the flesh as opposed to the spirit that, that is within us. But God will give us that ability to be patient and to wait upon him. You know, it's so easy to state what love is and to say that love is kind and it's easy uh, to understand that love is kind, but like I said, it's hard to do. If you think about it, even within our families, one of the greatest challenges we have is to be kind to one another. We might even, it might even be easier for us to be kind to those outside of our family. But sometimes to treat our brothers and our sisters to be kind to each other, sometimes even when they're grown and when they're adults and they have families of their own, our kids struggle to be kind with one another, right? And parents probably get tired of saying something to their kids like, you know, if you don't have something kind to say, then don't say anything at all. But you see, parents understand the necessity of kindness, but so often I fear that probably our kids watch us as parents and they see a father who does not treat his wife with kindness. And so the kids do the same. So children learn from the absence of kindness from their parents. And I would say maybe sometimes from us as men. And I don't say that um, uh, joyfully. Unfortunately, that is the case. So it's not kindness that insists upon its own rights. It's not in kindness that envies others or complains when others are blessed. It's not kindness that treats others with insensitivity. Brothers and sisters, we live in a fallen world and Satan is the, the prince of the air and people are living to satisfy their own desires and their flesh. And even we as God's redeemed struggle with sin as well. So how can we ever hope to get along in our homes or how can we ever get along in church or in our workplace or school or whatever? Only as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells us to love one another. You know, we need such love and kindness Otherwise, we would just constantly be returning evil for evil. But think of the kindness and the patience of our God towards us before thinking of the wrong that others do to us. You know, I think about, uh, you know, even if you say, well, well, Rick, you know, you don't understand what I'm going through. The circumstances are very hard. And I'm not denying that there may be people in this congregation who, who may be suffering great injustices in their life. You know, maybe there are circumstances that I don't know about that are that are rather difficult. But I do think about passages like Romans 8:18, which says, for I consider 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And even if we are suffering for being patient and showing kindness to one another, the glory that we will receive when we get to heaven will not be able to compare. I heard one preacher say that he wonders if when we get to heaven, we will even remember the wrongs and the sufferings that we will experience here upon earth because the glory of heaven is so great. Um, let me just close with this. Tertullian, who was an early church father, he tells us that in the days of the early church, pagans, sometimes called Christians, Christiani, rather than Christiani. Now the two words sound very familiar and um, um, of course, but there, there's another reason for the confusion. Christiani means Christians. Uh, Christiani comes from the Greek word for kindness. According to Tertullian, even when believers were not known as the Christ people, they were still known as the kindness people. And this kindness pointed others to the Lord Jesus Christ. And some came to faith in Christ because of it. But what about us? Are we known as people of kindness? Or do people more commonly associate, um, or are we more like people that people associate Christianity with? People who have attitudes that are stingy and judgmental and hypocritical. Our calling is to live with such love that kindness becomes synonymous with Christianity. Sometimes we say that people will know that we are Christians by our love. But there's another way of saying that, to say the same thing, that they will know that we are Christians by our kindness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come tonight and we thank you so much for your word. God, we stand at at a crossroads in one sense, now that we have heard your word, there is the challenge to obey it. But Lord, you know that in and of our own strength, we cannot do this. But I pray for all of us here uh, tonight, Lord, as we leave this place, that your spirit would uh, work in our hearts, that we would rely upon the love of Christ that has been given to us, that we would rely upon that love to love others. Lord, uh, that, um, that you would not let us uh, walk away from this place forgetting the things that we have heard. But we pray that you would constantly bring us to mind, but that you would give us that strength to love. And that, Father, it would be habitual that our families, that our our coworkers, that our friends would notice that we're different because of the patience and the kindness. Lord, we thank you so much that we have hope that this will be a reality in our lives because of what you have done for us. And we ask, Lord Jesus, for these things, not just for our sake, but even more so, that people would look to you and be glorified Lord, that there would be those who would come to faith in Christ as they see the Christians um, as kind people. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen.